Hello and welcome back to another episode of Screwcast. A little bit different this week. Um, so last year, Josh got a chance to sit down with um, a, a guest that everyone knows, um, for, especially from sort of Styrene Syndicate, Mick Doherty. Um, he builds ships and uh, wait, well, he builds all sorts, but uh, his ships are primarily. Uh, his passion I believe so Josh got to sit down with him and ask a few questions um, we had trouble trying to get an interview because time differences and everything uh, so um, Josh had to take the opportunity when it arose so we grabbed him um, for an hour or so and uh, this is the interview between Josh and Mick I hope you enjoy it and we're live. So today on Sprucast, I've been able to sit down with Mick. I'm going to mess up his last name. Daugherty? Daugherty. Okay, we'll go with that. Sorry about that, but I'm not really good with names. But anyway, I'm going to have probably about yeah. an hour here sitting down with Mick. We're going to go over a couple of probably PE tools, ships, modeling, what he's up to lately, and okay, sounds like a plan. Glad to be here. So, what first got you interested in modeling? Actually, that that one goes way back to my childhood. Um, my grandfather and my uncle both used to build, and when I was for about just before my fourth birthday, my parents uh, they kind of split up. Well, there's no kind of about it. It happens, you know. Um, so my mother was uh, taking me to my grandparents' cottage a lot during the summer to keep me occupied because don't have dad around no more. Um, so I only got to see him like a couple of times a year. So my uncle and my grandfather get this plan. They buy this model kit. It was a Tamiya Panzer II. In one to thirty-five scale, and uh, they put it aside at the cottage, waiting for the first rainy day we had up there. Um, and sure enough, the first day that it rained, we couldn't go outside and play. My uncle and my grandfather pulled his kit down, and they sit me down at the table, and they helped me assemble and paint it. And it just kind of—I was. Well, I would have been four years old at the time. And uh, it just kind of stuck from there. My Whenever birthdays or Christmases rolled around, my uncle and my grandfather would each get me a kit. Um, and it just kind of, it always stuck with me. Um, so, yeah, I've been building since I was really young. <laughs> Mostly armor stuff, right? Well, I mean, as a kid, you, you, you anything that strikes your fancy. And kids are like squirrels. Ooh, look, a nut. Ooh, look, another nut, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you end up building airplanes and spaceships and battleships that you play with in the tub until all the decals fall off them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, you get your 1 to 35 scale and you're constantly re-gluing them and breaking them because you're playing with them. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <clears throat> You know, especially back in the old day when Tamiya still came with the motors and stuff in them. I've had I've had people ask, "What's that smiley face on the bottom of their tank hulls?" Like, well, that's where the switch used to be. <laughs> you know, because those things all used to be motorized. Same with their battleships. Well, they're one to three fifty scale anyway. But uh, it, I, you you build just about anything, you know, uh, cars. And then, of course, you get into the painting end of it, and you're you're sanding off your Hot Wheels so you can steal your mom's nail polish and <laughs> do your own custom paint jobs and stuff. Yeah. And it's only later on when you realize the collector's value if you had to kept those things mint. <laughs> Man, I kick myself daily for some of the toys I wrecked when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I've – there's – this one show, you know, that's on TV, 
and you look at some of the stuff they sell on there and then you go be like, I had that. What the heck? That was $1,200. I could do so much with that right now. I, I have joined a couple of uh, toy enthusiast groups. They're into like retro toys. And I can look up all my toys from the 70s and 80s and stuff. And, you know, the, the late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, man, just the nostalgia of going through those groups. And I had that. I had that. And then you start remembering toys you haven't seen in decades <laughs> that you had. And you start looking them up. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's, it's insane the amount of money that, that passed through my hands as a kid that I didn't even realize because – Back then, it was something your dad bought you to play with to shut you up, you know? He, yeah. But uh, but my, my uncle and my grandfather, that, like, with them, it was always model kits with them. Uh, that, that's where that's that's where I my primary source up until I started getting an allowance. Started doing chores around the house and getting an allowance. So that then I, you know, I'd take my allowance and giddily march off to the Kmart back when they still had a hobby section in a Kmart back when they still had Kmart up here. Cause there's no more Kmart in Canada and no more down here either. So yeah, <laughs> but uh, the last one up here went out of business. What was that honey? About six, seven years ago. It was after you moved up here. Yeah. No, I mean the one where we bought our track pants just down here by the base. Now it's the uh, bar. Now it's the uh, dollar uh, dollar store. Oh yeah, you're right. That was Zellers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Zellers. Zellers got folded in with Kmart. That's what confused me. But yeah, I mean. Yeah. So so with with your YouTube channel and your Facebook page, the Tiny Admiral. When did you know ships were going to be your thing? I I built various subjects, like I said, like kids do, you know, whatever takes your fancy. Right up until, I'd say my early, early 20s. I was like 19, 20 years old, just, just going into my 20s. And uh, that's, that's when I was, I think I started like airbrushing when I was eight, 17, 18. And then started getting into zeroing in mostly on, on ships around 1920, 1920 years old. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. It was just I've always had a love for the sea. Um, almost joined the Navy when I was younger. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's, I've always had a love affair with the sea. So I started out building uh, sailing ships. Friend of mine got me a small, tiny little Cuddy Sark. I built that, and I felt pretty good about that. So next thing you know, I started building really heavy on on the sailing ship kits, and that that then led into more modern subjects. Um, and I don't know, I just I, that's kind of always been the mode I stuck with ever since. Uh, although I do occasionally do other things still, even now. Um, Still got to get around to finishing that one to 35 scale King Tiger with the interior. <laughs> the sad part is it's, it's even worse for me because I'm not stalled where Gil is on that. I'm stalled with only one goddamn thing left to do, and that's put the damn tracks on it. And those are all like one piece by one piece, right? Those, those, are, those, are, metal, those are metal fuel tracks. Oh, okay. And, so you uh, aftermarket stuff? Yeah, they, they, they were uh, very kindly donated to me as a Christmas present from uh, Brett Markhart at uh, um, High Altitude Scale Modeling. Nice. Um, yeah, it was I, – I literally I – I asked him, like, because he does some retail, and I'm, I'm like, well, how much would it cost me to get a hold of these fuel tracks and a, and a bottle, of, uh, bottle of burnishing fluid? 
and he gave me a quote and it was a really it was a really good deal he was he's like just you know because because you're a friend look i'll give you this you know for this deal i says okay well i'll let you know when i've got the, when i've got the money and i just right now i'm price shopping but yeah that's by far the best deal i'm gonna get just i gotta wait until payday he's like okay no problem a week later these things show up at my house with a door with, with a note saying uh I missed your birthday and it's early for Christmas, so I'm making up for both. No, Brett's a really cool guy. I yeah, I actually would like to get him on the podcast at some point too. Yeah, so. um, he, he also has a really good channel. For, I love it. I love his inbox reviews. So, so what are you currently working on? Currently. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've had one pro project that's really been kicking my butt um, as far as as the get up and go. Um, it's a uh, dual kit, uh, Ravel's one to three fifty scale SMS Emden and SMS Dresden. But I'm doing them as a uh, as a uh, test beta test for scale decks, and because uh, I beta test for them and. Uh, it, the first one went down okay, but the second one is with the full PE set because I'm showcasing he does kits for both box fit and what he calls his HD decks, which are kits that they leave out the holes for certain things that are plastic parts that are going to be replaced with photo etch. So you don't end up with a photo etch part and then a big unsightly hole in the deck underneath of it where you no longer have a peg to stick the part in. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, they're 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 built more to the specifications of the photo etch set that's going to replace the plastic parts, while also keeping in mind the plastic parts that'll remain. Um. So, the Dresden, not really done. These are not being historically accurate, um, because, like I said, they're just to be to be to test the deck really. And uh, the first one went down. The box fit one went down okay, nice and smooth. It took me all of like two weeks, plugging a little bit here and a little bit there. The Emden, however, with the full photo etch set from uh, with the full Big Ed set of photo etch, it. They have completely replaced all the superstructure with photo etch, everything. And a lot of it's a bit, a bit of a pain to get to fit right because it's the way they've got it designed. Everything is so interdependent. So if you get one of your bends off of it, it throws the whole thing off. So it has been trying my patience. <laughs> and I'll pull it out and I'll work on it for a couple of nights. And then I contemplate firing it out of a cannon and I put it away for a couple of days. <laughs> and uh, either that or I'll work on something else because I still have uh, a few finishing touches to my uh, Freightliner FLC uh, 1 to 20, 1 to 24th scale uh, rig. And I've still got to finish the uh, model truck my kid gave me for my birthday. Which, well, uh, you know, a six-year-old doesn't know not to buy AMT kits. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not his fault. And, of course, he bought a model kit for Daddy. He was so proud. So Daddy stuck building it no matter what. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've been there a couple times myself on that one. So I... I'll pull it out and I'll fart around with it for a bit here and there. and That way, at least there is some pro slow progress, but... And like I said, on top of that, I've got really got to get around to reburnishing those treads and putting uh, and getting getting them looking right and putting them on the tank. And then I can add, then I can call it done, and then I can start picking on Gil too, like you guys do. <laughs> That's funny. I just can't pick on him because you know what? I, I'm the other guy out of, out of the three in that buddy build that that hasn't finished yet. Joe finished his long ago and has since moved on to a couple of other projects. Yeah, that that's Joe does really good work too. Um, so with military, what's your favorite period in time you like to work on? 
I like World War. I like World War Two. I like World War One. Um, when it comes to naval subjects, I, I, there is no period. <laughs> when it comes to naval subjects, I'll build anything from last year to last couple of centuries. Um, it, it, it basically with with ships is just it, whatever strikes my fancy. Um, the odd time I'll Frankenstein a couple of old kits together. You know, with the uh, when you find, you know, guy's got a stash of four or five half-built ship kits that he got frustrated with and put back in the box at a yard sale for two bucks. You know, oh yeah, I'll grab those and I'll just Frankenstein something out of it. But I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> so, so with that, do you do the wooden? You know what I'm talking about? The old sail ships too. Oh yeah, I've done. Uh, I've done. Geez, age of sail ships in both plastic and wood. Um, for ages, one of my one of my favorite builds actually wasn't even in plastic; it was in wood. It was a uh, Art Artisania Latina. Okay, I don't know the company. Um, they're pretty big in the plank on frame wood kit business. I did their uh, HMS Endeavor, and oh, it was beautiful. Took me five years. And uh, so, what's what's the big difference between the wood and the plastic? Is it like just slap it together like you would the plastic, or is it? Oh no, no, no! See, that's the, that's that's where the big difference is. Right there is is with plastic, you've got parts formed to look like what they're supposed to represent. You clip them off, you clean them up, you glue them in place, you paint them. Uh, with a wood kit you've got a bunch of brass fittings, a bunch of stock dowels of wood, a bunch of plank, small planks of wood, and a set of plans with measurements. So you don't even get the pieces. You have to cut them out yourself. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's different. Well, you, what you got is you've got laser cut frame pieces, which you fit together to make, the inside skeleton, the frame that's going to hold the planking and the decking and everything. Okay. Over that, there's rough. There, there's a, uh, a rough, soft, light wood that you use for your actual hull form, and then you go over that with very, very thin veneers to add the outside planking. <laughs> um. And and then you're then you got to either stain it before or after you put it on, right? Usually what I did is I built the whole thing and then I stained it with, uh, with, uh, spar lacquer, spar varnish from the hardware store, oddly enough. I just went and got, went to the boating section and got spar varnish and I lacquered it up with that stuff. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, there I was only using one stain. I wasn't painting any colors in there i was all going with complete natural wood so the only tone difference is the tones from the different woods because the kit had a lot of balsa a lot of samba wood a lot of uh very very thin oak veneer you know like there, there's a lot of different woods in there you get your you don't really have to do much painting on these kits unless the original had painted surfaces um the endeavor however did not so I, I did it completely in natural woods. So, so out of the two, which one would you prefer to build if you had your choice? Two different types. The, the one that well, just the thing is they, they kind of fulfill two different two different needs. A wood kit is nice to have a kit aside that you just put in a couple of hours on a weekend, every now and then, and you don't mind if it takes you forever to build up that kit. Um, if you're going to do a Tommy Maya type build with, you know, it's going to take him five years to do a two year project that should be a six month project because <laughs> he likes to draw it out. I don't blame him. And he does good work. So, you know, you can't really complain. But yeah, if you want a nice, long, drawn out build like that, wood, wood is definitely the answer. If you want something that you want to be done reasonably soon and you want to see results faster and you don't want to spend a lot of time hand shaping wooden parts 
with sandpaper and little files and stuff. The, yeah, go with the plastic. Because um, even even with the cleaning up of parts you do on plastic, there's a lot less scraping with that blade than there is the sanding to shape, like the the steps and the, the steps embedded step boards embedded on the side of the hull, for example. They each had a bevel, which I had to use a rat tail file starting at the corner of the piece of wood that I had cut to be the step and file out those bevels to make it the right shape and everything and then attach it onto the hull. Oh, wow. So, yeah, wood is a lot more hands-on, well, woodcrafty, only on a micro scale, you know? Yeah. Um. Usually I build, I prefer to build in plastic. I just, I don't have the room or the expense account for all the tools that I would need to reacquire. Um, Cause I haven't built in wood. Geez, in a very long time. So what's your go-to tools for when you're shipbuilding? Just general modeling tools. Do you do special stuff? Uh I like most modelers. I go through a ton of number 11 blades. <laughs> um, I, I always recommend keep, keep a good exacto handle and a couple of spares in your kit. Just, you know, wherever you keep your blades, keep a couple of spare handles. <coughs> Tweezers are essential. Um, now I build with a lot of photo etch, so there's a completely different set of tools right there. Um, so, so explain that. I well, because it's one of the questions we're going to cover here in a second. Well, with photo etch, you, you, the tools you're using are entirely different. I mean, you're still using number eleven blades. You're going to go through that no matter what you do in this hobby. But at the same time, once you cut that part off, well, now I'm using diamond files instead of my rough files. You know, um, to file smooth the, the burrs on on it. I'm, I'm using a different set of tweezers. I have a set of tweezers that are uh, coated in, in uh, chromate and a bunch of other stuff, titanium plated. Um, That's well, so it don't leave marks, right? Well, not only that, but they're, uh, they keep their shape better. Oh, okay. So I get a set of tweezers worked into where I can hold that little itty bitty teeny tiny photo edge piece. And I can glue it onto the back of the flea on the back of the dog that's on the ship that, you know, <laughs> um, I, I keep my more exacting tweezers for that, those tasks, because I, I need something that I know are pristine at all times for that. Um, if you can't afford a good photo etch bender. Uh, you can make one. How? <laughs> I went to uh, I went to the hardware store and I got two sheets of plexiglass the size I wanted for my cutting mat for my photo etch. So I ended up with about a foot by a half a foot piece of plexiglass. I got two of them. I sprayed and painted the back of one with flat black paint. Then I smeared a bunch of glue on it and I mounted it to the one underneath. So I've got a nice gloss black surface when looking through the plexiglass, which shows up the photo etch very well. And I've got two plies so it's nice and rigid. Um, it's not gonna bend on me and, and bend my part when I don't want it to. And then I got another piece about this big. It was just a scrap rectangle piece about this big that I took sandpaper and filed down one edge to to make a uh, like a chisel shaped edge on one side. Yeah, it's one by one, right? One by one piece, right? Actually, the one that I the one that I had made was I think a one by two piece, one by okay. two inch. And I I I, I beveled the long side. And that I use not only to hold the fret down while I'm cutting, but when I went to bend the part, I would actually use that as the metal brake instead of using a hold and fold tool where the metal brake clamps down. 
well, this had just meant that you needed a steady hand because you had to hold that there while you slid your blade in and folded the part up. So how, so with that bevel, how, how do you stop with the, the bevel or the bend, right? Do you go all the way or do you just go to where the piece lines up? I usually go first to where the piece lines up and then I'll look at it and then I'll give it, usually it takes a little more nudge over just to bend it to where the spring back brings it right back to where you want it. Um, Cause unless it's heated all to hell, there is still going to be a bit of spring back when you take the pressure off the, off the bend. Like you slide your blade underneath, you tilt it up. Well, as soon as you let go of that, there's going to be a little bit of spring back in the metal. So quite often I'll go a little bit further than I have to for the bend, just a hair. And then when I let go of it, it pops right into place where I need it for the right shape. But again, that's something that's, you you learn that sort of skill. You develop a feel for the metal over time. Yeah, I'm, time I'm not, I'm asking all kinds of questions because I suck at photo etch. I, that's, that's why I asked some of those questions. I, the last time I had to do photo etch, I, I think I broke every piece like in <laughs> half twice. I, it is like, definitely uh, like going stuff. And well, you see, actually, that's one of the things I like about photo etch is it forces me to slow down and take things one small step at a time. Yeah. There, there, there is no multitasking with photo etch. It's, I need this piece. Well, I have to cut it off the fret. And at that point in time, that is the only goddamn thing you in the world you are thinking of. And then you and Tommy are doing pieces that sit in the middle of a penny that you had to put together. Like, like the, anti the anti aircraft guns on my Bismarck, the anti aircraft guns on my Bismarck were, let's see, one, two, three. Seven pieces of photo etch and and a plastic base, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And the thing is, before you add all that all that juicy photo etch detail, you've got to remove all the clunky plastic detail. Without removing what you need to keep behind, that's fun. <laughs> because it, it, it took me a long time when I first started doing that sort of stuff to feel more confident with just how deep I was digging with that chisel blade to scrape off deck details and stuff like that. Cause I want to leave a nice smooth surface underneath for what I'm mounting to it, you know? So with photo etch painted or not painted, cause it seems like when they show photo etch, they don't like to paint it cause they want it to show. Well, that, that's exactly, that's a, it's a marketing technique. That's exactly why they leave it unpainted on, on those models. In, in those advertisements and those, you know, you're, you're when you're shopping and you see the pictures, the, the models, plastic gray with the photo edge standing out. And that, that is, you're right. That is exactly why they do that is to make their details stand out so that they, you can say here, this is what's included with the kit. Um, however, when I'm building, I'm not generally building to sell a uh, photo edge set. So yeah, I, I paint my photo edge. <laughs> And it seems to be the norm, right? I just it like there's, and 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 I guess it depends on the person too, because I I know some people that don't paint theirs. They like the look of it. Um. Okay, it's your hobby. Knock yourself out. And that's always been my opinion. You you do you do you. You know, I'm gonna let anyone tell you you can't do that with a model. It's your model. You paid for it. But myself. To me, it just the model tends to look not finished, you know. I guess it would depend on the color the metal is, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, on a battleship, there's not a lot that is shiny brassy. So really, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never been on a battleship, so I, I'm. Well, I, the thing is, well, there is also a difference between peacetime and wartime. In peacetime, yeah, a big flashy ship when you when you pull into to a port while you're out flying the flag, 
yeah, big, impressive, brassy, shiny ship looks cool, but in wartime, you don't want a lot of brassy, shiny, because that draws enemies' eyes. It makes you a way bigger target. It, it's sort of like saying, hello, I'm over here, shoot me, you know? So during wartime, anything shiny is painted out. Within reason, that I means kind of hard to see out of out of a window that you painted over. But <laughs> yeah, for sure, huh? But for the most part, uh, battleships are mostly drab gray colors for a reason. They're they're trying not to be seen, so a lot of bright bright glinty brass just doesn't do it. So. Where do you stand on the whole resin versus plastic versus PE? Well, the thing is, I prefer building in plastic over, like, because they have full resin kits, that resin kits out there of ships. I'm not big on them. And it's not that I haven't seen a bunch of them built really well that come out really nice and really detailed. It's just not my medium. Uh, I work with when I work with resin. Generally, it's because a uh, an aftermarket detail set came with resin parts. Like for my one to two hundred Bismarck build, the blast bags were resin. Um, a bunch of the boat davits were resin. But uh, other than that, it's it's all brass, all the details anyway. And, of course, the wood deck was from scale decks because that was a beta, beta test for him, too. So, is there a ship that you're wanting to get your hands on that you've not built yet? And why? There... There are ships in scales that I haven't built them in yet that I want to do. Um, there are two ships that I haven't built yet that I would really love to do, but good luck finding finding them in plastic kit form anyway. Um, I'd love to do the Edmund Fitzgerald. What is, that? what is that? What is that? What is that? Is that a battleship? That was a, that was a Great Lakes freighter. Oh, Okay. That uh, that sank just uh, just off White Whitefish Bay in Lake Superior during a storm in the seventies, and uh, some Canadian goofball named Gordon Lightfoot wrote a big song about it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm actually if, if he's ever watching this, I'm actually a big fan. But uh, yeah, no, it's it is it's fairly well known. Uh, uh, disaster because it's the worst disaster that they had on the Great Lakes. Um, well, one of the worst anyway. Uh, sank with all hands. They they just literally one minute one of the ships out on the lake had them on radar. The next minute they were gone. Um, but yeah, I've I've always wanted to build build uh, the Edmund, but unfortunately nobody makes a kit of it. The uh, other one that I would really love to get my hands on a kit, but no kit exists yet, is uh, is to do a 1 to 200 scale of HMCS Haida. That was World War World War II and Korean War destroyer, Canadian. Oh, okay. And the the reason I've got a love the reason I've got a real big love for that ship is for the longest time, it was moored in Toronto Harbor when I lived there. It was a museum. It was as a museum ship. They've since moved it. Uh, they've since moved it on down the shore to um, oh Hamilton. Hamilton? No, not Hamilton. You know, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, it's not in Toronto anymore. Um, but when it was in Toronto, I used to tour that ship regularly. I I know that ship like the back of my hand. I have spent many, many hours wandering those decks. <laughs> 
Um, so I've just, I, I've always really, really, really loved that ship. But again, it's, it's one that nobody really makes a kid of. And then there's the one you've been plugging the last couple days, right? Oh, the upcoming Titanic release. Yeah. Um, not so much plugging. I will say that um, from what my contacts at Trumpeter have said, they've used almost 90, almost 99% of the suggestions that uh, Titanic uh, Honor and Glory suggested to them when they reviewed the kit. Um, it's, it's, it's a, this whole release has been a long drawn out saga now. Yeah, what was it like? Two years ago, they 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 didn't even really so much announce it. It just showed up in their catalog as upcoming. And uh, but I hear about it from a bunch of different angles because I know a few people at Trumpeter. I know a few people freelance in the community that that beta test products and a bunch of people that do box art. And the guy, the guy uh, that does, did the box art for the Titanic. Um, well, I, I know, I know Randall from Facebook. So he, I, I knew the box art was being done before most people even realized that there was going to be a kit. And uh, so I've been watching this intently, this whole process. And at a certain point, Trumpeter decided to come to the Titanic model builders groups. And say, okay, here's our, our beta kit. We're going to show you pictures that they built in their, you know, in-house. What do you guys think? And, of course, shipbuilders being one of those genres of, of model building where there's a lot of rivet counters. And some of these guys get pretty uptight. Well, of course, they picked it to death. <laughs> they picked it to death. Um, I only had a few problems with the kit, and most of my problems were answered by the angle that the pictures were taken on, because the one to two hundred scale Titanic is massive. It's hard to fit that, even even with a wide angle lens, and be close enough to get it in detail, right? So, is it one of those that your Bismarck's going to sit on top of it? No, no. Uh, <laughs> my Bismarck. I, I, can't remember which one's longer, Bismarck or Titanic, but there's only about an inch or so. There's only about an inch or so difference in the uh, in the one to two hundred scale lengths. So it'll be comparable. It'll be a lot taller than my my uh, my Bismarck, but comparable in length. But that's because of the stacks, though, right? Well, the stacks plus the masts that go above the stacks plus the fact that Titanic only had to or uh, sorry Bismarck only had to rise a certain amount above the water. Oh, okay, okay, I'm, okay. Now, now I'm understanding. You okay. don't have a really high freeboard with bat with a lot of battleships. Um, just enough so that your decks aren't completely awash constantly and is pretty much okay. But with an ocean liner, you've got decks upon decks upon decks, even back in the 19-teens when this thing was built. Um, even in 1912, cruise ships had a lot of stacked up decks, so you've got a, a lot of height that way. Really high freeboard on, on a, well, a lot of commercial ships really, but particularly on, on cruise liners. And on top of that, for her day, she was built to be the biggest, most luxurious, you know? Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So you're going to have some size there. there there's no doubt. It's going to be a monster kit. And, and then I hope the iceberg that comes with it is, you know, gigantic. There, there's no iceberg that comes with the kit. Come on. Everyone keeps asking me that. No, no, no. Why not? <laughs> there should be. But, uh. But, uh, so of course we all picked it apart horribly uh, and some of the guys in the group were really cruel about it. <laughs> so they, uh, they approached trumpeter approached uh, Titanic honor and glory and said, look, we, we put out some test shots and 
everyone went ballistic, tearing it apart. We're going to send you a kit, have you guys build it, and then send us back suggestions on how we can improve the kit. So Titanic Honor and Glory built, had had one of their, uh, their, their guy that does their 3D printing, uh, Zeno, he's, he's really cool. Um, he built it up for, he built it up for them. He did a really good job. And then him and the historic department and everybody else went through it and found every single inaccuracy they could find and sent a bunch of lists to trumpeter and trumpeter. Like I said, they've, they've acted on about 99.9% of it from what I've been told. Um, but again, until it's actually officially released in January, January 10th was the last uh, date that I have. Um, until it's released, what, what do we really know, you know? Um, it looks like it's going to be a big kit. From oh, it, it is a monster kit, and, and it's, it's a well-appointed kit. I didn't have that much problem with it to begin with. A few windows are out of place, yeah, but at the same time, that's what putty and sanding is for. I mean, and number 11 blades, we were builders. We, we obsess over little details. It's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially with ships and, you know, the, the military boats. And it there seems was like not, there was nothing wrong with that kit that I can't fix with a little bit of ingenuity and, and attention to detail and time, you know? So, yeah, it's, it, it, it looks, it looks to be a nice kit. Um, it was, uh, I know that Trumpeter is also doing some add on sets for it, but, uh, I can guarantee you scale decks is doing a deck for it. Cause I've already been confirmed to beta test that one when I build the kit. And, uh, I've been told by uh, a friend of mine who's the main designer for, uh, Infinity models that they're also going to be doing a set. Unlike, unlike Trumpeter's add-on set, you'll have to wait a little bit longer for scale decks and in, Infinity models. And I also know that Pontos and both Pontos and MK1 will both definitely be doing sets. But who gets to market with it first is anybody's guess because. Unlike Trumpeter, who already have it, they design it, they own the molds. It's going to take all the other aftermarket parts guys a little while to catch up after the release because they've got to go buy the kit. Yeah. Then they've got to bring it back and look at every detail they want to design for it. And, and usually when I say they got to go buy the kit, I mean they got to go buy a stack load of those kits. <laughs> Because they're going to go through a few of them hacking this up, hacking that up, what can replace, replace with this. And their CAD designers have to actually design everything they're replacing. And then how many trial and errors are you going to go through to get the design right? Because I can tell you as a beta tester, it don't always go smoothly the first time. That's why companies hire beta testers like me is so that John over at Scale Decks can send me a deck and say, okay, does this fit? Build it and tell me, you know. He, he needs an outside opinion to find all the little mistakes that when you're a designer, you're, you're too, too, too tuned into the overall design to notice some of the small little defects here and there. But I can assure you when you're doing the build, you find every single one of them, <laughs> you know. So that's my job. I, I do that, and then I send him corrections on where something's gone wrong. Uh, this part doesn't fit this hole's in the wrong spot, you know, Th this little protrusion should be over here. It doesn't fit to the, okay, thanks. You know, and, and then he'll act on those and perfect his product. So you can imagine when the kind of anxiety that you must go through for something as complicated as designing photo etch metal sets that are meant to be bent into shape and then ha still have to fit with everything, you know? Um, yeah. Like <laughs> whoever does, whoever does his beta testing must go absolutely out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Yeah, it seems like it seems like there's a lot of those kind of kind of deals and stuff that happens with models now sometimes because they just send it to people to build up so they can like advertise and stuff too. Well, I mean, a lot of companies do it in house. Like I know Trumpeter normally does theirs in house. The reason they went out of house for this was because, like I said, they went to a bunch of enthusiast groups. And, and I mean, a lot of these are, are not even modeling groups, but actual tech groups that are really into the technology of these ships. Yeah. I mean, these guys know every goddamn bolt, <laughs> you know. Um, and and they, they just went and tore it right apart. It was it was like watching a lamb in, in a crowd of velociraptors. And, you know, the... It is what it is. So they went out, out of house and said, look, you guys are well-respected authorities on this. You tell us what, you know, what can we do to fix it? All right. So boat question there on some of the ships, there's a line, not on the top, like the bottom part where the water line is. Right. Okay. How, how do you go about, Creating that line, the water line. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm saying that's the water line because I, I could be, it could be wrong. I, I don't really know a whole lot about boats, right? Well, usually what I'll do is I'll take a, a, a mechanical pencil and I'll sharpen it up. I need a nice sharp point on it, and I will take my measurements and I will mark off at random places along the hull where that water line should be. And I'll use that as a guide when I'm laying down my tape. Um, then I'll move down as far down as the water line needs to be because each ship is different in the depth of their bootstriping. And I'll go down and I'll do tape off the bottom part and then I'll do in my bootstripe. And that's basically all you do, huh? I know a lot of people do it even more simple than that. The first color they lay down when they're painting their hull is black around the around where the bootstripe's going to be. Oh, okay. And a lot of times they'll then, for the rest of the hull, they'll black line details that they want to pop under the paint later. Um, and then they'll tape off the bottom part and paint the hull red and then they'll tape off the top part and they'll paint that the final hull color and they take all the tape off and of course they've had the, the bootstripe taped off the whole time they tape the first thing they do is they do the black basing and then they'll put the tape down for the bootstripe spray so paint the bottom tape it off spray paint the top tape it off tape all the tape off you're done so if you were going to put it in like an ocean scene, that's where you would cut it, right? No, I, I always cut it a little under. And the reason why is because very few ocean scenes are flat calm. <laughs> and you don't want to see your rippling waves and at the bottom of each wave, the cutoff part of the ship. So I always cut them a little deeper so that I can build the water up higher. And no matter how shallow the wave gets, it doesn't, I mean, personally, when I do, I don't do them very often, but when I do do a seascape, I don't even cut the bottom off myself. I just build the, the base really deep because that way I've got the ability to position the ship like it's in pitching and rolling in seas and stuff like that. Um, I can show the full bottom of the hull if I want to have it actually cresting a wave. Okay. No, that, um, makes, sense. that makes sense. That's, that's just me. I mean, I know a lot of people do cut them off, and most of the ones I've seen that cut them off right where they want the waterline to be on on the finished display usually end up not happy because they end up with little bits at the bottom of deeper waves that uh, you can just see the edge of the plastic where they've cut it. Oh, jeez. Um, you're always better to cut in a little lower and build up a little higher when you're building the base to meet where you want without showing any without showing any of the cut. 
So, what is your favorite part of the hobby? Honestly, just getting in there and doing it. Um, I always now you should describe your your uh, how how you go about this because you you have a whole tear up and a tear down each day <laughs> in your workspace. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a plenty big enough apartment when I moved in here, but I was single then. I was here for a year before I was here for a year before Tammy and I got together and then along came Liam and now we're two adults and a kid living in a one bedroom bachelor pad. <laughs> I it happens, dude. I so the thing is during so the thing is during the morning once the sun comes up the kid owns the living room. Yeah. <laughs> so all my modeling stuff has to be put aside cuz um, learning to airbrush is definitely a father-son supervised activity. The <laughs> uh, last thing I want to do is go out to the store. Tammy's not paying attention closely because she's doing something, and there's my kid doing airbrush art on the walls. Come on, <laughs> it, it comes off just like crayon. <laughs> it depends on what he puts through it. <laughs> And that's the other thing I have to worry about is some of the stuff I have to spray is pretty damn caustic. And how you you have an air booth or you just open no, the window? No, I, I I'm lucky in that right there is a three window, like a a, a bay with, but not not a bay window, but a like a sun window. Yeah, it's you've got three windows on an angle, so you've got a protrusion. Yeah. I can't I can't think of what you'd call it. It's a bay window. No, it isn't a bay window, it's something entirely different actually. But uh yeah, we're recording, dear. Um and I can open up the windows in such a way that I get a cross draft. It'll blow in one side and out the other, and it'll suck the air in the in the room out with it. And if I put my fan by the by the other door of the room. And blow it in. It, it guarantees that it's all going to get sucked out that way. But uh, when the kids awaken out here, and there isn't a sealed door between us, um, I only I only spray the non toxic stuff anyway. But uh, at night, I can open it up, set my fans upright, and that's when I can spray like uh, enamels or lacquers. No, that I mean, you you, you definitely have a, a system. <laughs> well, no yeah, I mean, it all has to be packed away. So I've got my chest of drawers that has one drawer is just paints, one drawer is uh, just airbrush stuff. I got another drawer that's consumables like gloves and glues and like rubber gloves, glue of various different types and descriptions and. Uh, and, uh, you know, thinners, alcohol, stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it all packs aside and moves over there. And then it's out of the way. <laughs> well, when, it comes to, when it comes to my actual build process, that all comes usually with after a couple of weeks of planning. I'll sit down. I'll figure out what I want to do with it, how I want it, to, how I want to display it, um, what period I want, and then I'll start marking off what details I need. Because a lot of my builds contain a lot of aftermarket as well. <coughs> so I'll sit down with the instructions for the aftermarket and the instructions for the kit. I'll go through the kit instructions. I'll mark everything in red that I'm going to be replacing with photo etch along with the reference number for the photo etch part that I need. That way, when I get to a frame in the instructions, I look and it says, you know, parts number this to this to this to this, but I know that it's only this and this part because these three parts are being replaced with photo etch, you know? Um, it, it saves on me getting through a build stage and uh, finding out that I've, forgotten to add something 
then after that comes my favorite part, which is just rolling up your sleeves and getting into it. Um, I, I start by prepping the hull, uh, sanded off details that are going to be replaced with photo etch, filling, filling and sanding any uh, seams or gaps, getting it all to the point where it's ready for paint, and then paint her up, but and then start working on superstructure parts. But it's the actual getting into it, whether it's photo etch or plastic work. I just, the whole point of the hobby is to have something to do with my hands, you know? No, I, I, I totally understand that. And, you know, it, it, the thing that I've noticed since we, we get into a lot of the hangouts is, like, you'll be on the same ship for months. Well, and it, and it looks like, you know, one day you've done, you've done six hours worth of work sometimes, but you've only got like the smallest little section done, but when it's done, it looks great. Well, that's so the whole thing. It, it, one, one piece at a time, right? Um, one step at a time, you get there. What's, uh, what's, what's the longest you've taken on a build? Ever, the longest build ever was the art, art artisana Latina kit of HMS Endeavor, the wooden kit I mentioned earlier. Uh, that one took me, I think, about five years. And what's but the longest I, plastic kit you've done? Probably longest plastic kit I've done to date would have been that Bismarck at fourteen months. Yeah, your your coffee table, <laughs> <laughs> right? Gil calls it my canoe. Hey, the boys gotta bathe in something. I mean, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, no, that one took me fourteen months. That, that's been my longest build so far. For a one to three fifty scale, I'll average anywhere from four to nine months somewhere around there that's not bad that's with a lot of photo edge detailing um other kits i can i mean i there are some kits i can knock off in a weekend if i'm not putting any extra detail into them but at the same time those ones tend to not be as much fun So are you, are you how how are you doing on the the figure build? The figure build, I haven't done a damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> between between everything that I've been going through with the family stuff lately that I was telling you about, and the stuff that I'm doing for scale decks that I need to catch up on, um, I just haven't had much time to pay attention to a figure yet. Oh, that's cool. I was just curious. I think I got as far as filling in a few of the seams with perfect plastic putty and giving it a quick standing and haven't touched it since. You're still you're still doing the the Popeye, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I've got them I've got them most mostly filled and sanded. I'm ready to start primer priming and painting, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Um so I really didn't have a whole lot more questions. I mean, we've covered all kinds of stuff. Was there anything you wanted to ask? No, I'm, I'm pretty good question wise. One, one thing I did want to say though, is, um, you know, I, I, you hear all the time, especially when you do this on a more professional level, one thing you hear a lot of from younger modelers, newer modelers, is, oh, I'll never be able to do that. How, I, I, I can't believe how you can do that. I, I'll never, you know what? Yes, you can. Give it time, one small step at a time. Um, like you were mentioning earlier with Photo Etch, how, how Photo Etch is your bane. Um, all I can say is, man, one small step at a time, don't let it frustrate you. Um, it's just like anything else in this hobby. I, I know a lot of people that get intimidated by new things. 
you know, uh, photo etch, a wood deck, this new funky product that just came out, you know, give it a try. You might find you can do more than you think you can. I, I've only done photo etch once. Well, I should say twice. And I took one of the, what do they call it? The earth. Oh, the metal earth kids. Is that what their metal earth? Yeah. And did the um, Captain America shield or something like that? Okay. One of the simple Marvel things, and it was just the shield. And I, I got it together, but it didn't. How do I say this? It didn't. It didn't. It it. It looked like it was supposed to, but if you like turned it just a certain way, it looked completely wrong. Because <laughs> yeah. just how I bent the metal and I, I, don't Earth, I, I actually don't recommend metal earth kits until someone's had a little more experience with etch. Um, just because I mean the whole damn thing is photo etch. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you cut your teeth doing things like start with something small, you. You've got a ship and you want to put railings on it. You don't need to get, you're not looking to get fancy with, you know, new replacement cranes and, and little tie down hooks and stuff like that. You just, you just want to add a railing to your ship, you know, um, something small like that. Give it a try. Get, get, get yourself a feel for working with the metal. And eventually you get into bigger things like, I mean, after that, after that one to two hundred scale Bismarck, and then the one to three fifty scale Yamato that I built right after that, um, it, it's been a while since I've done something that fun. So I'm really looking forward to this Titanic kit because I can get into all that, you know, all that juicy detail. But it's something that you get yourself used to one little step at a time. My first foray into photo etch was nothing near artistic. I can tell you. <laughs> Yeah, I. It, it looked like a bale of wire having a seizure. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I don't. I don't know. I. I've only got like a tank. I think has. I think the railing and stuff. That or the maybe it's the. It's one of the Tamiya. Abraham tank, I think, is what it is, and oh, then. Abrams? And yeah. yeah. Um. And then there's parts that go on the plow that come with it that are just little add-ons, but they oh, don't, yeah. you know. And they, that, that's a good place to start cutting your teeth on stuff like photo edge too, stuff like that. Um, you know, just you don't have to do the whole the whole model in photo edge. That can come later. <laughs> and once you get addicted to it, um, there is a certain segment of us model builders that are crazy and. People who love love bending photo etch is actually a thing. As much as, you know, in the groups, all you hear is people complaining about it. <laughs> and don't kid yourself. We complain about it in those groups, too. But it's more just a good-natured, I need to vent, and then I'll get back to bending this damn piece of metal, you know? But uh, it, there, there's... It's, it's almost a whole new subgenre now. It's, they got they got their own communities now for just photo edge bending, which I find hilarious because it's it's an add on to a model product, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I guess the point that I that I I'm getting at is not to let any new thing, whether it's photo etch or a new tech painting technique or anything like that, don't let it daunt you. Uh, I, I know so many people that have just never, ever gotten into any of the added levels of detail they could get into because they allow themselves to be intimidated by it. it it's it looks big and scary, but one small step at a time gets you there. You know, with photo etch, it's one bend at a time. You, you, you're concentrating on that just that one little detail. And then you move on to the next little detail. Eventually, those details pile up and. Your wife complains at you that you need more shelving space because the models are everywhere. I, yeah, in my in my house, there's 
vaulted ceilings. So they have those little shelves up on the high part of the wall. Yeah. So I've got like stuff I've printed out. I've got the one of the, the bat wings I've done up there. The Deep Space Nine space station with a couple of the ships around it. Yeah, I got I got uh, four shelves here that I need to put up sometime soon. But every time I've got the money, I seem to have better things to do with it. <laughs> or a six-year-old that needs something, or seven-year-old, right? Oh, yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> that's the one that's hit me lately a lot. Pretty pretty soon, we're gonna go pick them up at the bus stop, and I know we've got to go pick up some things from the store afterwards. And I know damn well that means, Daddy. <laughs> Can I have this? Ugh. Yeah, I, I I understand that one. But anyway, I wanted to tell you thank you for, you know, we were able to knock this out today. Um, yeah, it's been hard connecting because my schedule has been all over the place lately. I, like I said, I, I work day shift. I mean – Heck, man, I have to force myself to make time to be at this table, <laughs> you know, for me. And it's for, you know, up here. It's yeah. I, if I don't do it, it's I'm just not the right same guy. So, yeah. But I just thank you. Um, was there anything you wanted to plug, like any of your Facebook, YouTube, whatever you wanted to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of revamping a few things, so there's not much on my YouTube at the moment. But yeah, I have YouTube, uh, Tiny Admiral. Um, I also have uh, a YouTube or a uh, Facebook page, uh, Tiny Admiral Scale Ships by Mick. And uh, what can I say? Feel free to check me out. Um, and uh, there's always I gotta represent my bros at Styrene Syndicate and Red Dragon Model Works. Because you know I'm one of their moderators, so got to plug them along with Scale Model Critique Group, or not Scale Model Critique Group. Sorry, I was thinking uh, scale, model, scale Model Kit Review. The critique guys accidentally got a got a plug out of me, I guess. Yeah, and and you do a good job of helping out with those three pages. I well, it's something know, to do. I mean, really, most of it is just. Every couple of hours, you click on, see what's going on in the groups, make sure nobody's acting up, <laughs> you know? Hey, I promise I've never done anything wrong, ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, that's good, because what most people don't know is moderators have Santa's ears, so. <laughs> right. No, They sure, I, I, they sure do in this house, I'll tell you. <laughs> and his credit card bills, too. Right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to end this. Thanks for coming on and spending at least over an hour um, talking to me about models and stuff. I'm sure me and Mark and Gordon are going to do an intro to this, um, but I'm not sure when the episode's going to re release this moment. So thank you all for listening. Bye. Cheers. Oh, is it not going to end now? <laughs> You're stuck here now. <laughs> They're holding you captive. Oh, here we go.